Pastor Vince on Sunday, he used a great example. You know, we want to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And who did he use as an example in Ephesians? Anybody remember? Peter. Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter is a great example. So I'm going to kind of uh, try to dovetail or segue from, from that, you know, from Peter's life and some of his ministry and some of the trials and ups and downs that Peter went through as Jesus was trying to form him or transform him, mold him, and prepare him so he could be the leader and the disciple that Jesus wanted, needed him to be. So I'm going to um, op- open up your Bibles this evening to uh, uh, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, 2, for 20, 2 through 29, Mark 9, 2 through 29. take my glasses off, sip of water. And I kind of labeled this, I didn't really give it a title, but I guess you can call it uh, preparation for the road ahead for Peter and for us so we can serve him effectively in whatever ministry that is. It's ironic, as a believer or as a disciple in Christ, we always have a ministry, whether it's to be obedient and serve him in some capacity, or we're also told to reach others for him as well. So we always have a ministry. So anyway, let's go uh, right into it. Okay, and early, this this takes place near the end of uh, the ministry of Jesus in his three, three-and-a-half-year ministry. This is getting toward the end of it. And there's kind of like a, uh, a paradigm shift in, in what, what Jesus is trying to do. He's working with uh, his disciples. He's sending – he already sent 70 out a little while ago earlier in the chapter – and he, he uh, gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and preach the gospel. And they, they came back, and they were successful. I remember they even said that, Lord, even the, even the demons, you know, obeyed us in your name. And what did Jesus say? He said, well, that's, that's fantastic, but just be glad and happy that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, it's so important. We need to sometimes get our, our perspective, our, our, our bearings, you know, properly, so... So any uh, communication is so important. You know, Jesus is always trying to convey the word, and and communication reminds me of a funny story. Uh, any boxing fans in here? I'm a, a pugilist. I'm a boxing fan. Ma- many years ago on, uh, I think, Channel 52 or 55, U- USA Fights, I don't know, whatever. And there's a, there's a boxer from Mexico, Mexico, and he, he couldn't speak English at all. And he, he's a very good boxer. I think he's fighting a middleweight or light, lightweight title. And I forget the, uh, the commentator is trying to have fun with the boxer. He was, trying to, he was uh, in, interviewing the boxer before the fight. And he was trying to, there's a, a translator next to him. So he was trying to talk to the translator, trying to talk to the boxer. The boxer spoke Spanish. He didn't understand a word of English. So, so the commentator was asking him, okay, what do you, what do, you do when you're off, off hours when you're not training? He said, oh, I'm a farmer. And, oh, he's, he's a very good farmer too. So the commentator made the jokes. I said, when you're not fighting, I said, you're outstanding in your field, right? So the translator tried to translate that to the boxer, and it, 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 didn't, it didn't translate. The boxer kind of looked at him like, well, what are you doing? And it, anyway, it, it didn't click. So Jesus is always trying to um, you know, communicate to us in a way that we can understand it. And sometimes he, he'll use people. He'll use uh, circumstances, you know, uh, different ways to try to get a message across and peter is a great example he's trying to trying to you know get peter to see who he is and and what that means so 
with that in thought, let's let's get into the into the story here. Okay, Mark nine. Okay, I'm going to go back to uh, chapter eight, chapter eight, verses thirty-one, and this is a key verse, eight thirty-one. I think it's the, the paradigm shift and the the emphasis of what Jesus' ministry is going to. He's he's already he's already proclaimed or earlier in that chapter, you know, he already asks his disciples, his, he said, Who do the people say that I am? And Peter said, Well, some people say you're a prophet of old, some people say you're John the Baptist. But then he gets personal. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And Jesus said, very good, you got it. So I think Peter's starting to get it. But there's a great verse here in 831, uh, chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So, you know, the, the focus or the emphasis of his ministry, well, Jesus is now, he's now resolute. He, he's, he's focused on the, on the cross, on, on the job that has to be done ahead of, uh, ahead. You know, he has to go to the cross. He has to redeem mankind. He has to die for the sins of the world. And Peter and the disciples, they didn't really grasp that part of it yet. You know, they're out there preaching and teaching and seeing, seeing uh, demons cast out and, and, you know, people healed and, you know, the dead raised and all these miracles happening. But they didn't get the full the full impact of, of the ministry of Christ. He's got to go to the cross and die for the sins of, of mankind. So with that, you know, that, you know, little background, let's get into chapter 9, verse 2. Okay, so starting in verse 9, verse 2. So now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them on a high mountain apart by themselves. And that, that's, you know, right there, there's kind of, kind of interesting a couple of the scholars said, well, after six days, that's, that's interesting. What, what's, so, uh, what's so big about that? Back, back in Exodus chapter 24, it said when, uh, when, when the Lord came down, his presence came down on Mount Sinai, he was there for six days, and, and he spoke to Moses on the seventh day. Oh, well, that's interesting. So after six days, Jesus took him up on the mountain, uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. So apparently... You know, one of the scholars was saying that it takes six days just to prepare someone <laughs> to go on a journey with Jesus so, so some great thing can happen. Can you imagine that? Six days to prepare someone, you know, for a great revelation or something's about to happen. We're going uh, to take a look at that in just a minute. Okay, he led them up on a high, on a high mountain. They, they say it's probably Mount, Mount Hermon, which is close to Caesarea, which is the Sea of Galilee up in north. Northern Israel. Some people say it's Mount Tabor, where the uh, Transfiguration took place. But that's a little south. That may be twenty or thirty miles south of uh, of the Dead Sea, not the Dead Sea, uh, the Sea of Galilee. So they think it's uh, Mount Hermon where this takes place. And I like it. He led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And how many times do I, I need I need to let the Lord lead me apart by Himself, so He can do that work in me. How many times I need to get a, get alone with him by myself. He's always, there's work that has to get done, but I need to let him go and do it. So I thought that was, that was kind of cool. Okay, verse 3, all of a sudden, here's, okay, I'm sorry, the end of verse 2, and it said he was transfigured before them. And, um, and Luke, and the, Luke, the gospel of Luke uh, 
stays uh, Luke 9, 28 through 29. It said he led them up on the mountain to pray. So there's actually a reason for it. He, he led them up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. This is when the uh, transfiguration happened. As he was praying up on the mountain, he was transfigured before them. He was, they, they say that the word, the Greek word for that is metamorphosis. You know, just, he was, you know, the, the shining light, the brightness of the sun from the inside was coming out. And he was just radiant. It was just, it was just incredible. It was like flashing lightning. You know, he was, he was so bright that his outer garments turned like into turning, like the brightness of snow. He was just so bright. He was just illuminating, like the, the power of God was just coming out, coming out from him. And it's, um, go back to chapter uh, Mark 9 here. Is that verse 3 says his clothes became shining exceedingly, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And uh, so I'm just saying that the, the uh, disciples are sitting there, just there's just uh, observing this. It's just a, it's just incredible, you know, this great, this great revelation that's happening. And all of a sudden, uh, verse 4, Elijah appeared with them with Moses. And they started talking with Jesus. I can, I can imagine what, what Peter, we're going to see what Peter is about to do in a second. But all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus and they started talking to them. I wonder what, what they're talking about. You know, if, if, you go into, if you go into Luke, it kind of tells you. They were talking to Jesus about his departure. He was getting ready to depart, his ascension. You know, something that, you know, the, the work of redemption that he had to do, that his uh, dis, uh, disciples are just, they were unaware of yet. They just didn't realize that yet. So Peter, Peter, he's a character. He goes on, and uh, you, got, you got to watch what Peter does here. Verse, uh, verse 4 says, Elijah appeared with them and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. They were talking about his departure. So Peter's funny. He does something funny here. So Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles or three structures or three shelters or three booths. You know, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, you know, and, you know I, I'm sure Jesus was, you know, he was glowing, you know, he was just shining. He's looking at Peter like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of trying, I don't know if he, I don't think he said that. But so Peter, so some of the scholars said, why would he make three tabernacles or three, three booths? One of the scholars was saying, well, maybe they're trying to celebrate the, uh, the festival of Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast, the feast of Booths. And and the idea was, if we can build three booths uh, for them, maybe Elijah and Moses will stay here longer and worship with us. So the idea is, if we build these shelters, they can hang out longer and stay with us longer. That's one of the scholars. That's one of his thoughts. And another thought is, you know, why would we build the, these uh, tabernacles or uh, structures or tents? Another uh, scholar said, well, that's the way in the Old Testament, that's the way the Lord spoke spoke to Moses and the Israelites through the tent of, of meeting, through the tent, through the tabernacle. That's the way God spoke to them. You know, Moses would enter and speak to them, then Moses would come out and speak to the nation of Israel. So maybe that's the way that God's going to, you know, continue to communicate with us. So let's build three tents and three shelters. And I, <laughs> the Lord is kind of shaking his head at this point. Well, not, not quite, but then verse 6 kind of, it kind of clarifies it or kind of uh, defines what Peter is all about. He says, because he did not know what to say, 
for they were all greatly afraid. Peter didn't know what he was doing, you know, it's, but that's okay. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing half the time, and, or sometimes I'm doing something dumb, but the Lord is so gracious. He's, he's there to correct me and mold me and kind of put me back together and keep me, keep me going in, in, the, in the right direction. Then all of a sudden, okay, verse 7, then a cloud came down and overshadowed them and enveloped them, and the voice came out with a loud Oh, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. And, and uh, okay, in, in the book of Luke, see if I have it right here. And in the book of Luke, it says that they were so terrified that they fell on their faces. They, they were terrified. They fell on their faces in fear and dread. They're so terrified because they heard the voice of God. But what is, what is God the Father doing here? He's confirming and affirming what Jesus has already done, the great revelation. He's revealing his divinity, that I and the Father are one, that he is divine, you know, God incarnate. So, so God, when he speaks, this is my beloved son, you know, listen to him, you know, hear him out and do what he says. You know, God is, you know, God the Father is kind of affirming or confirming who Jesus is. So they, hopefully they'll get it by now. So whenever we want to go on a high mountain, Hopefully, we'll get a greater revelation of who Jesus is. You know, if the Lord can take me up on a high mountain, hopefully I can at least get a better vision or view of what I should be seeing. You know, I should see what I should be seeing. So he wanted him to have a greater revelation of who he was, and the Lord God just confirmed it or affirmed it by saying, this is my son. Listen to him. So they were, they were terrified. But it's, it says in Luke, it says in the Gospel of Luke, you got to love Jesus. He has so much compassion. It says in Luke, you know, if you want to, I don't, I don't have it uh, right in front of me, but I think it's Luke chapter eight. He, in, in that, in that uh, narration of the story, Jesus actually goes over to them and touches them, and touches them after they're they're laying face down in, in terror and, and fear, and said, "Guys, it's okay. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. It's going to be okay." So I love what the Lord does. He touches them kind of get their attention, but he also shows compassion and comfort for them as well. He says, do not be afraid. So words of comfort and words of healing always come from uh, Christ. He, he got, I just love the way, he, the way he, he does things and says things. Okay, now as the, uh, as the story goes on, okay, okay, verse 8 is another key, key point here. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with, them, with themselves. So the cloud had dissipated, had gone away, and all they see now is Jesus standing there by himself. And that's just interesting. You know, I think, you know, Jesus talking to me, he says, look, George, get rid of the clutter. All I want you to see, get rid of the cloud, you know, through the cloud, through the storms. I want you to just see me and me alone. You know, the, you know, the Lord is pointing you to me. So if he can see me standing there by myself, you know, that's all he should see is Jesus himself. And they had that vision of Christ standing there all by himself. That's all they needed to see was Jesus alone. You know, sometimes I wish I had that, that sole vision just to see him without the, all the distractions. It's, it's hard sometimes, you know, I get to, you know, the holidays are coming up. I'm always in an argument with my family about something. And, you know, there's so many Sub subjects that we can talk about. I don't want to go into politics and blah blah blah. But you, 
it's, it's hard because we're coming up with Thanksgiving dinner, uh, the Christmas season coming up, and family, they want to talk about something, all the distractions and the arguments and whatever. If I keep my mind focused on Jesus and love him and try to love them, you know, things will smooth out. We'll have our differences, but at least I can communicate with the right attitude and right uh, perspective. It, it's hard sometimes, but, you know, Jesus gives me that, that strength uh, to do that. Okay, now and we go on to verse 9. He says, now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should not tell no one, they should not tell anyone the things that they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. Now you're asking Peter to be quiet. All right, Peter, you saw all this stuff. Now don't say anything. What he was, I, I think what he's trying to say here is, I just, I just gave you a great revelation of myself and who I am and, and my divine glory, but don't, don't tell anybody until I'm resurrected. There has, there's a great job, a great work that has to be done first. Then as soon as I'm raised from the dead, then you can go back and share this, this great miracle, you know, this great uh, transfiguration, what you just saw. Then you, can share, then you can share it with them. But not now. I'm not, they're not ready for this yet. They're not ready. So hold, just hold that, keep that to yourselves for right, for right now. I don't know if they got it. I don't know if they understood so in verse 10, so they kept this word to themselves, questioning, questioning Jesus what, what the rising from the dead meant. Oh, so they actually, they could keep it to themselves for a while. And I give them credit. A lot of times I hear a bit of gossip or good news at work, and well, I want to I talk to this. I want to tell somebody, or I want to I share it with somebody. And it's usually the, it's usually the wrong thing. I'm, you know, I usually have a good bit of gossip or information you know, a bad, bad joke, a bad story about, and what I, I want to share immediately out of my flesh, out of sinful flesh. And Jesus is saying, you know, don't, don't do that. It's, it's, not the, it's not the right thing to do. Okay, in verse 11, they asked him saying, why do, it's an interesting question that they brought up. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So Elijah, okay, they're still talking about Elijah. Why do they why do the scribes say that Elijah must uh, come first? So the disciples are posing this question to Jesus. You know, why does Elijah come first? And he answers the question. And he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to, the, but I say to you, Elijah has also come. And they did not... And they did to him whatever they wished, as, as it is written of him. Obviously, Jesus is referring to John the Baptist as Elijah. He came at his, his, first, his first coming. But, you know, this, this whole idea of, you know, divine death and resurrection, the disciples had so many questions. They're, they're, you know, I just, like us, we have so many questions. Lord, I, I don't understand. But, you know, the Bible always is, is the best commentator. It always seems to answer itself, you know, given time and a little more study. You can always get the answers, most of the time. Sometimes I may need to ask Tony or <laughs> I may need to ask for help or pray about it, but usually we get, the, we get the answer that we're looking for if we ask, if we ask the question. So if, you know, just for your own reference, if you go back and look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 or Malachi chapter 4 verse 4 and 5, it's talking about Elijah. The, the first advent and the second advent. And it's, you know, the, uh, the, the day of the Lord it refers to. So, so 
John the Baptist was Elijah the first time, his first advent. He, he fulfilled that prophecy in the second advent when he comes again, his second coming. They say Elijah may be one of the two prophets right in the middle of the tribulation period. I don't get on the end, end time stuff, but two prophets show up and they're preaching, preaching the gospel. And they say one of them is probably Elijah. So at his second advent, his second coming, Elijah appears again. So if you want to do a, a little Bible study on that. But. So anyway, so, so now we're, we're tra transit. This little story kind of transitions. They were on the mountaintop. They got the great vision, ever go to like a retreat, you know, like a mountaintop experience and have such a great revelation, a great message, a great, a great work in you. Then you have to go to work on Monday morning. You have to go to back to school or whatever. It's like, ah, Monday morning, and I, I need another cup of coffee. Take a couple guys, take a trip to Wawa and get like a 37-ouncer and just kind of. Well, sometimes, you know, I go from the mountaintop back into the valley. Well, what usually happens when you go back to work or you go down in the valley? Usually, hopefully, you learn a lesson or you're usually you, you run into a test or an exam. You learn something, but then you go back into the laboratory and try to, try to you know, get the test or the exam to, to prove this theory or to, to, see, to see if I got it, to see if I understood what the instructor tries to tell me. Usually, you know, it's been many years since I've been in school, but you go back Monday morning, and what does the teacher do? A pop quiz. Oh, man. Well, that was the, you know, algebra, algebra 2 stuff I learned last week. They have a pop quiz. Did you do your homework? Well, if I fail it, no, I didn't. <laughs> And I just, uh, so anyway, let's, let's get back to, uh, back to the text here. Okay, verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them. And so what they did, they came down from Mount Hermon. They came down, and all of a sudden they're entering the valley or the local town, and they're surrounded. There's a little commotion going on. Okay, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with them. Verse 15. Immediately... When they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed. They were marveled, and they're running to him because they haven't seen Jesus in a while, and they greeted him. And verse 16, and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing? What are you discussing with, with them? Okay, I'll stop right there for a second. You know, as soon as they, you know, the disciples, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He descends, he descends from the mountain back in the valley into the town. All of a sudden, they're met by a group of a crowd of people, and they're arguing, they're debating, they're arguing. What does the enemy want to do? The enemy always wants to argue with us or debate us to try to distract us, to get us off focus, whatever the ministry is. So they run in, they, immediately, they run into like a spiritual warfare. They run into like a wall of you know, the activity of the enemy, He's trying to distract them, get them off course, get them off focus. So, but, you know, Jesus doesn't lose focus. So Jesus gets right in there. And he tries to, you know, see what's going on and try to make sense of this. So he says, so he asks the scribes, what are you discussing with the, what, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and he said, teacher, I brought you my son. So there's a man in the crowd who had a son who had an issue. Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. He couldn't speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth, and he, become, he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So anyway, just there's an interesting pattern how evil works here. Immediately, they, they ran into a, 
uh, distraction or commotion so that, you know, the devil or the enemy is trying to get them off track of, you know, lose focus of what just happened on the, on the mountaintop. They saw a great revelation of, of the Lord and who he was and what he can do. He's divine God. He can solve all our problems. They get back down in the valley and, you know, you know, commotion and the attacks start to happen. And there's always a flow. There's always a method, uh, a method to the, the enemy's madness. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, it, it talks about the spiritual warfare that's going on. And let's, let's, let's be wise of the schemes or, or the, uh, the schemes, the wiles of the devil. And the Greek word for that is methodios, the methods of the devil. The, de- the, the devil has his methods, and they never change. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden, uh, if, uh, Genesis chapter 3? The first thing, you know, the devil shows up in disguise, in disguise. Yeah, he was a serpent, you know, lurking, slurking on a tree. Well, he was already he was in disguise deceiving people. And Eve, I don't say Eve was so gullible and, you know, blame the man or blame Eve. Well, Eve, I don't get, get into that argument. But what did the devil do? He was, he was so subtle he, and crafty. He was able to deceive Eve to get Eve to be disobedient and turn away from the Lord. What do you mean, George, turn away from the Lord? Well, you know, they eventually went in the garden. They tried to hide from God. So, so the, the devil, was, he's crafty. He's sly. He uses methods. He was able to deceive, divide, and destroy. That's his methods. He never changes. So we can understand that, that the devil's, he's evil and he's deceptive, but his ways never change. Nowadays, he seems more active. You know, he seems like he's, you know, he's on a short leash, but he seems more active and more angry than ever before. We see the activity in the world. The world's going crazy. That's true. But he still deceives, he divides, and he destroys. He's always trying to divide you, either get you separated from church, from God. He's trying to deceive you to get you, you know, to sin, you know, make wrong decisions, go in the wrong direction. And he's trying to destroy you, either your relationship with God, your testimony. He's trying to neutralize you so you're ineffective. You know, where does he work? You know, the battlefield of the mind. He works in the, in the mind with lies and deceits and all kinds of stuff. And what does the Lord, the Lord, the Lord convicts us, or the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The enemy condemns us. So there's a difference there. So that, and, and just, I like the flow. I'm going to go back to chapter, uh, uh, verse 18 again. And, and look what, look what, this is the man's son who's possessed by a demon. And just look at the pattern of the demon. He says, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth, he become, he, and he becomes rigid. So the demon, what is the demon trying to do? The demon is trying to take a hold of him, trying to take him down, and trying to take him out, out for good. So the demon, he's always, he, he has a method to his madness. So we have to be aware of that and try to avoid that. But anyway, there's a, uh, there's another work here I think Jesus wants to do with his uh, disciples in this passage. And I think we're going to find that right here. Okay. Okay, at the end of verse 18, he said he becomes rigid. That's the, that's the man's son being wrestled. Uh, the, the demon is wrestling with his son. He becomes rigid. So the man says, he's, he spoke, he's speaking to the Lord. He says, I spoke to your disciples that they, that they should cast it out, that they should drive out the demon, and they could not. They couldn't do it. They couldn't drive out the demon. Just the, uh, 
How do you think the disciples feel this time? They couldn't do it. Ever have a moment of failure, just can't get it done. I'm unable, I'm unqualified. I tried. You know, the job at work, I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have the ability. I wasn't able to. I just didn't know how. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, being humble and asking for help. I, I do it all the time because <laughs> I need help all the time. And a lot of times, even at work, there's, I work as a computer analyst at the tech center. And a lot of times, mm, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. But I, know, I knew who to ask. I knew who the engineers were or the computer scientists. They were good, and they were special. They specialized in those areas. I always knew where to go and who to talk to to get the right answer. So that's key to kind, of co to kind of know who to go to. And what does Jesus do? This is interesting. And he said, he answered him, Jesus answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long should I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So what is Jesus doing here? He's rebuking them. Hey, ever get rebuked by, by Jesus? You know, it's, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. Someone corrects you, puts you in your place and said, George, you messed up. You made a mistake. <laughs> you didn't get the job done. You got the job done, but it <laughs> doesn't work. It doesn't fix. Or the fix you tried, it, it didn't work. You made a mistake. Ever get rebuked? Rebuke isn't fun, is it? No, rebuke isn't fun at all. When someone gets in your face and it's the way they do it, I guess. But Jesus does it in such love. You know, I, I wrote down, uh, you may flip the page here. Uh, where am I? Rebuke. I had that down. Oh, my note somewhere. It said, rebuke isn't fun, but rebuke is necessary. Sometimes I need rebuke. And if I would, uh, the importance of a good rebuke or a good correction, I need to receive or accept a rebuke with humility with love and kindness, and I should always accept the rebuke with expectancy. With expectancy. What do you mean by that, you know? Well, when Jesus rebukes you, there's always, if I know who he is and what he's trying to do, he's trying to correct me. He's trying to help me. If I listen to his instruction, hopefully I can grow and mature. So the rebuke of Jesus is always a good thing. But sometimes I don't, when immediately I get rebuked, I don't see that. I don't see I don't see, you know, the, the end of the story. So what, what he's trying to do, he's trying to get their attention and trying to, he's trying to teach his disciples something. So at the moment, they're not happy. But let's, let's see what happens at the end of the story. Then, okay, then they brought, brought him to him. They brought the child to Jesus when he says, bring him to me. So I love what Jesus does here. Jesus, he, he rebukes him in love, but he, he corrects him. But he's using this as a, as a teaching moment. He's not wasting the time. He's trying to instruct, inst instruct his disciples, listen, okay, you, you were unable to cast out the demon. You, you were unable to do it, but take heart. I can do it. With me, all things are possible. I can show you, I can show you how to do it, and I can show you what went wrong and how to fix it. So just be patient, but just watch. So Jesus, I like what he does. So they brought him to him, and when he saw him immediately the spirit convulsed and he fell on the ground and wallowed or he ro rolled around and foamed at the mouth so the enemy the enemy doesn't give up so we gotta if we're ever fighting a spiritual battle you know the enemy's not going to give up you know they're gonna they're gonna do their best but if i if i claim claim faith or claim christ in jesus name i always 
have the victory. I should be able to to win the war out from or from victory, you know, from victory. I should be able to win in the name of Christ. And the devil has to flee. Remember when the devil comes back to tempt? He always comes back at an opportune time. When Jesus was tempted in the, in, the, uh, in the desert for 40 days, after the temptation, Jesus came back at an opportune time. So he's not going to give up, but he's going to wait for that time to come and come back and, and try to take you out again. So let's, let's get on with the story here. Okay, so they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed and rolled around and foamed at the mouth. He foamed at the mouth. So he asked his, so this is Jesus talking to his father. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? How long has he been in this condition? And the a discussion goes on, and he said, the father said to Jesus, from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, please have compassion on him and help us. I like, I like what Jesus does here. Jesus gets personal with him. He asks him a couple personal questions because he's concerned about you personally. You know, all your personal issues, your cares, your concerns. He cares about all the things you're dealing with. So he gets right in, the, right in his, his business and he's asking him about how things are going or how this happened. So he cares about his personal life, you know, every detail of it. So he's, he's really, he really cares about all his uh, details. Okay, but then the man said, you know, the man is, I like the man's, the man's position here, he's desperate. He's desperate, out of desperation. He says, but if you can, but if you can do anything, the verse uh, 22, but if you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus replied, if, if you can, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So again, Jesus is, is still trying to, Use this as a teaching moment for his, his uh, disciples who are watching. He was watching all this take place. He's like, guys, you need faith. You know, to cast out a demon of this, of this magnitude, you need faith. So listen to me. I'm the, I'm the son of God. You know, watch what I'm doing here. Okay, then Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And I like the man's response in verse 24. He says, immediately the father of the child cried out, and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I, love, I love the man's attitude. You know, sometimes, in, you know, I need to cry out in desperation. I need to cry out like I really want it. I'm desperate, Lord. You know, can I stop the Lord in his tracks? I don't know. You know, can I? But he'll listen to me if I'm sincere and transparent and if I'm crying out in desperation. You know, this man cried out, and the Lord heard him. And I think he's going to hear us too. He'll, he'll hear us too. And he said, when Jesus saw that, okay, immediately the father of the child cried out again in desperation and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf, dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And Jesus, he doesn't fool around. He just, he, you know, he is the son of God. He can do that. If I know he can do that, I should be able to go to him with anything for help. I knowing that he can he can do anything. All things are are possible with with, uh, with Christ. Okay, and then he he commands the spirit, deaf, dumb spirit. I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed, 
and convulsed the, the young man, the, the child, greatly. And he came out of him, and he became as one, and he became as one as a dead, as a dead man. So that many, so that many said, "He is dead." But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So what it, you know, Jesus took care of everything. And hopefully, the disciples are watching this. He was able to cast out the demon. He was able to satisfy the father, and he was able to restore the son all at once. So he, it's it's funny if we just get out of the way. Jesus can take care of it. He can take care of things. So I, but I have to cast all my cares upon him. I have to leave it in his hands. So as he was doing all this, hopefully the disciples are watching and learning, learning the message that, okay, he can do this. He's able to do all this. He cast out the demon. He restored the son. And he, you know, satisfied the father. He returned the son to the father. Everything is fine. Disciples, did you get that? Did you see that? I hope they did. You know, George, do, did I get the message? I'm learning. I'm learning, Lord. I, I need help. <laughs> you know, help me, Lord. I'm, help my faith, Lord. I need help. Okay, then when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately. This is in verse 28. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Okay, another teaching moment, verse 28. So he had said to them, this kind, this kind of evil demon can come out by nothing, but only by prayer and fasting. So this is, he does, I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't give up on his disciples. He pulls them aside. He loves them. Though he rebuked them, he loves them. He corrects them. But he's also trying to instruct them and fix them as well. And sometimes I need, that, I need to be fixed and I need that instruction. Why? So I can grow and mature and become the man of faith that God wants me to be. Well, Peter is in a key position. He's in a key position here. He's, he's, I don't see that he's the leader, but he's of the three of the three that always follow Jesus around. So he's in a key, a very vital, important position. And that position better better get it, <laughs> better understand. Of course, we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. Yet at the very end of John, I think, the Gospel of John, Jesus restores him again. So I love how Jesus restores, you know, he says to him, if you love me, will you, you know, feed my sheep? He, he says it to him three times. And those three times he restores him from the three times he, he denied him. So it's amazing how the Lord can restore Peter. So anyway, he, he uses this opportunity. He doesn't, waste, he doesn't waste it at all. He uses this opportunity. It appears they failed him. They were unable to cast out the demon that they failed. They're unable to do it. But that's okay. Jesus can do it. He's able to do it. And a great verse in Mark is Mark uh, 10, 1027. You know, with man, it is impossible. But with God, it is possible. With God, all things are possible. That's Mark 10, 27. That's just another chapter over. So, you know, Jesus, he had, again repeats, repeats the good news that with him, all things are possible. And, okay, now he's saying, now, Peter, James, and John, did you see this? Did you get it? Did you learn the message? Did you, did you learn the lesson? You know, well, I don't know. It's funny because later on the chapter, they're, they're debating who's the greatest. They're debating, or they're walking with Jesus, and they're having this great debate again. Okay, who's the greatest, and who can sit at your right hand, and who can sit at your left? And by this time, you know, I think Jesus is kind of shaking his head like, oh, my guys, I love you, but uh, he, he has so much grace and so much mercy, so much compassion for us. He overlooks our sins. He overlooks our, our wrongdoings, our failures, our 
inabilities, but he is able. He can fix us and make us and, and put us in the right position, mature us and help us to grow so we can be the men and women that he wants us to be. So I'll, I'll stop here. If, if, you know, if Chris, you could uh, come back in and lead us in a, in a final song. So anyway, let me, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer.